All right. Good morning. Thank you guys for joining us. Let me get myself situated here. All right. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, after that last song, we could just all go home because that was just it. So thank you guys for leading us in worship, Grace. Um, that's, that's very special. But we're looking at Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 37. Um, again, I'm just grateful for your presence this morning. I'm always excited when I have the opportunity to uh, be able to speak and, and teach. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, just quickly, if you're, if you're checking us out or if you're, if you're a guest or if this is relatively new, if you're new here, there's a little card in front of you in the seat backs. So if you want to fill that out between now and the end of the service, turn it in at the Connect desk. We've got a gift for you. We're so thankful for your presence this morning too. We know it's kind of, it could be stressful and maybe a little awkward to check, some, check a new place out, try something new, especially if you're by yourself even. Uh, so just thank you for joining us and thank you for having having the courage to step into something different. And so I uh, just wanted to get, uh, make sure you, that you knew that. So a little about me. Uh, I first believed in Jesus when I was around 15 or so. Uh, and for the next couple of years, I slowly started to understand more and more about what that decision actually meant. Uh, up until that time, though, I was involved in a lot of things that you probably shouldn't be involved in at a lifestyle that was pretty contrary to what it should have been, even by secular standards. It was just a little, uh, it was a little, we'll call it flippant. Um, every decision I made was based off whether or not um, uh, was based off of like what, whatever would be the most fun. Like that was that kind of kid. You know, like if this is fun, then I'll do it. Um, the reason I did anything wrong was because I thought it was going to be fun. I had made a lot of, you know, friends and acquaintances and relationships during that time. And uh, they were all centered around that idea of just having fun. But as I started attending youth group more and more, uh, I started being around believers more and more regularly. I, find my, I found myself like at odds with these two worlds that I was a part of. And so I started to understand that my faith was more than just like this fire insurance. It was more than just a big general belief that God exists. It was more than just like the general term of, yeah, I believe that there's a God. I believe in God. Um, I know a lot of people that believe in God, uh, and this is a lot different than that. But it's a relationship with Jesus. So these two worlds started colliding, and I remember specifically I was on a, uh, a youth group missions trip, and I uh, had walked out, and we went to Florida, and I had walked out into the ocean, and I had stepped on something, uh, something really sharp, and my foot was just bleeding really bad, and so we had to go try to find some like emergency care center or something like that, and so I was in the van with some friends of mine who were a couple years older than me, and we were having this conversation. They were really trying to encourage me. They were excited about my newfound faith, um, but they also challenged me a little on my lifestyle and the things that I was involved in. And so we talked about what it really meant to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus. And I'll never forget that van ride in that uh, vehicle. Uh, there were things that I knew that when I got home, I had to change. I was convinced of it that now I, I, I've got to make this a real thing. But I knew it was going to be hard because there were so many things that I had to change. There were relationships that I had to give up on. There were hobbies that I just couldn't have anymore. There were things that I was involved in that I couldn't partake in anymore. And the reality of me accepting Jesus uh, and what it looked like to follow him came face to face with one of my biggest problems. And honestly, one of the reasons why it was so hard for me because I was a people pleaser. I just wanted to like, have everyone like me. I didn't want to have anybody that thought negatively of me. Um, and you may not even, like, they could have not even known me. But if I knew that someone had a problem with me, it wrecked me. And I would do anything to, like, make that person like me. And that was why I found myself in all of those camps of, I'll do whatever I have to do. I'll be whoever I have to be as long as it's fun and you like me. <laughs> you know, and that's a big problem. 
Uh, and so I was like whoever I wanted or whoever they wanted me to be. And what happened is that I had a lot of these relationships and these areas of my life where people thought of me as one thing depending on where I was at, but I really had no identity of my own. Is what, is what it looked like. But then I felt the Holy Spirit in that conversation with my friends in that van. I felt like he was telling me, like, I gave you an identity. When you, when you believed in me, I gave you an identity, and now it's time to follow me. And so in today's passage, we're picking right up where Pastor Brett left off, and Jesus had been rebuked by Peter for saying that he was going to die. And then Jesus told Peter and the other disciples, he had that famous line of get behind me, Satan, right? It was like he called them Satan. That was a big deal, big, a big, big, big deal. Uh, And so now Jesus is going to begin teaching his disciples and the crowd around them what it really means to follow Jesus. And so I'm going to invite Brooke Hogan up to read our passage for us this morning. Uh, It is on page 895 in the Seatback Bible. Uh, If you would stand for the reading of God's word, if you're able, um, then we'll jump on into our text. Morning, Brooke. Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Thank you, Brooke. You guys can have a seat. So before we dive in, just join me in a word of prayer, and then we will unpack our text today. Father God, we're grateful, Lord, for this morning, grateful for the opportunity to gather together um, as brothers and sisters in, of, of, in Christ and uh, just under one roof to worship you, um, to submit ourselves to your scriptures, to the authority of it. I pray, God, that you would speak to us from it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Jesus has had this somewhat tense exchange with his disciples, and before uh, he begins teaching them about what it means to follow him, he draws the crowd in. He has everybody come in around him. It's almost as if it's to add a layer of pressure and accountability to, on his disciples, and then on, honestly, anybody in that crowd who's claiming to follow him. If you're claiming to follow me, then I want you to hear this. And he's like, it seems like there might be some confusion about following me, um, even from my own disciples. So let me clarify. I feel like he was wanting to give this clarification. And then he begins with, whoever wants to be my disciple. And I wanted to stop there for a moment. Like, who is he speaking to? Is he speaking to everybody there? Well, yes and no. It is to all who can hear him, but it's really for those who want to be a disciple. He's calling those people out. Who wants to be his disciple? And so when I was reading that, my mind kept getting hung up on that word want. The word want. Those who have a desire to follow Christ, they have a longing for it. And then I was thinking, why? Why do all of these people want to follow Jesus? What has made them want to do so? So for some of them, it could have been the many miracles that they've witnessed or that they've heard of. Uh, For others, it was because they thought that he was a prophet. Others even thought he was Elijah. And then Peter answered that why question when Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And then Peter answered as a spokesman for all of the disciples, well, you're the Messiah. And he was right when he said that, But we even knew that they had a misunderstanding of what that really meant. And so it caused me to ask myself the same question, like, do I desire to follow Jesus? Do I want to follow Jesus? Is it something that I really long for? Or is it something that I just say that I want but really don't? 
And then I was like, well, if I'm thinking these thoughts, and I want to ask you the same question. As we unpack this, I want you to think, do you really want to follow Jesus? And you might think and say that that's a silly question, like you're here now, right? You want to follow Jesus. But it's one worth asking. Do you really want to follow him? And you may have grown up in church and you uh, may just have always known him. This could be your entire life or you may be here for the first time or relatively new to all of this and you barely know anything about Jesus. But the answer to that question, regardless of where you're at this morning, it's still very important. Do you want to follow him? Now, if your answer is no, we're going to talk about that here in a couple minutes. But if your answer is yes, then I have a follow-up to that question. And it was the same one that I asked about them. Why? Why do you want to follow Jesus? So you want to, yeah, sure, but why? Why did I feel like I had to make all those changes when I got back home from that trip? Why did I want to follow him in the first place? As a mature believer now, or more mature believer now, I think, you know, it's because we're convinced of who he is. I'm convinced of the truth of the gospel, convinced of the reality of God's holiness and my sinfulness in light of eternity. I was convinced that following him is far better than anything else. But for some, it could be because we want something from him. Maybe you feel like you've followed him your whole life. If you followed him, your whole life would just become easier. Maybe you've seen a miracle and you want one for yourself. Maybe it's purely just to have that fire insurance, the eternal life that he talks of. Oftentimes when the motives are selfish, maybe for personal gain or benefit, that's when we get that phrase, well, I've tried Jesus and it didn't work for me. You guys ever heard that? I've tried Jesus. Well, I've tried Jesus. I tried that whole religious thing. It didn't work. And I always think to myself, you tried him for what? What does that mean? You tried Jesus? Tried him to make your life better, to fix all your problems, to make it easy, to use him like a genie, and to have him to grant your every wish. And just a side note, because just because you didn't get what you prayed for, but just because you didn't get what you wanted, that doesn't mean that he isn't working, that he wasn't listening, that he's not responding, that he's not present. Right? He's still active and he's still there, he's still faithful, but that is not the the sermon that we're having now. That's a different sermon for a different time. But as far as trying to reap the benefits of Jesus without actually following him, well, Jesus has something to say about that. And so he continues on. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So if earlier you answered yes to that question of do you want to follow Jesus, and then the answer to the why was because of comfort or to receive the blessings and the gifts that come from following Jesus, then this statement is kind of a shocker. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Well, no wonder trying Jesus doesn't really work. Because trying Jesus is not the same thing as following Jesus. And so I feel like at this point, his listeners were probably trying to get the wax out of their ears and make sure they heard him clearly. Like, did you say, take up your cross? You want me to do what? Now, these words can get lost on us because the context of our lives compared to these people in Rome, since we are so far removed from each other, it's pretty different. But one thing that we know that's pretty obvious is that this is the, not the best way to like gather followers. Like if you were running a campaign speech, this would be the opposite of what you'd want to say. And it's not that Jesus doesn't want followers, but he needs to thin the crowd out. And so just to clarify... What Jesus is not saying is what comes to mind when you hear things like, this is my cross to bear. He isn't implying that there's going to be some small burden in your life or some kind of hardship or 
uh, or some kind of reference to a persistent annoyance that you have to just tolerate. That's not what taking up your cross means. And that certainly wasn't what it meant to these people here in our text. This was a shocking statement. This was one that, that would open their eyes really wide. They would be uh, kind of aghast to it even. To pick up your cross meant signing your name on your own death certificate. The cross in Rome was a tool of execution and a powerful display of what would happen if you opposed Rome. Opposition to Rome would afford you being crucified. Prisoners of Rome would be made to carry and drag their own crosses to be executed as a show of submission to them. So this would have been the dividing line, maybe even the straw that broke the camel's back for those or for most of the hearers that were following Jesus and that Jesus was speaking to in this moment. Because it only meant one thing. It meant death. That's what the cross meant. And so, like I said, Jesus likes to thin out the crowds when they started to get big. Not because he didn't want followers, but because authentic faith and relationship in Jesus is different than what most have come to think of. So he wanted to let them know up front, you say you want to follow me. Well, this is what following me looks like. He thins them out. And so we view the cross as a symbol of atonement and grace and love, one of mercy, which is all true. But at that time, in this context, it carried with it none of that. It did not mean that to these people. This call to take up your cross is one of complete self-sacrifice and self-denial, which is why he leads off with, you must deny yourself. But deny yourself of what? What does that mean to deny yourself? Well, I think it's whatever is contrary to the Spirit. We have this deep, dark part of us, all of us do, that only cares about one thing, and that's ourselves. It's our sin nature, our flesh. It has its own desires and its own cravings. Romans 8, 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. And I love that line. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. That's such a true statement. Anytime we start talking about like cherished sin or anyone, anytime that anyone starts poking around in the secret places of your life, the things that you are trying to keep hidden, when God shines a light on them or if, if someone that you trust comes and starts talking to you about them, the first thing that happens is you get defensive. Your heart starts beating a little bit. You get a little angry. You get a little angsty. Why? Well, because the flesh is hostile to the Lord. It hates that it has to submit to him. It does not want to. It makes us uncomfortable. Right? All the cherished sin, the things that we allow in our lives that shouldn't be there, they don't belong. It makes us uncomfortable. It could be anything. It could be materialism. Like you just have to have that name brand stuff or you just need the biggest and best or nice things. Uh, it could be pride where you think that you were owed everything because of just who you are or that you've got to be the best. It could be money. Like you just need more and more of it. It could be lust. It could be a secret addiction. It could be whatever. Whatever it is, conversations like this tend to stir up frustration. And honestly, you'd rather us talk about anything other than this because the flesh is hostile to God. Now, I'm sure at this point in the conversation, many people in the crowd heard, take up a cross, you want me to do that? No, thank you, I'm good, I'm gone. And they left. And maybe some of you even now hear this and are thinking the same thing. Like, this is a lot of sacrifice, this is hard, I don't want to do this. 
But if you look back at what Jesus says, the second part of verse 35, Jesus continues speaking to the very nature of man. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And I feel like that's our first response. The reason why we throw our defenses up is because we want to save what we've built up. Just think about what it really means to save your life. Certainly, the physical life is a part of this. If the cross means death, then it's only natural to want to avoid death. We live every day trying to avoid death. We would do anything to save our lives. But in our context, if the cross means denying self, if it means self-sacrifice, then saving our lives would look more like self-preservation, a guarding up, a building it up, the pursuit of health, wealth, and prosperity. You could really read this line as, for whoever wants to build up and rule their own kingdom will lose it because it's not going to last and it will fall, it will fail. But then the good news comes and he speaks to the reality of what following him brings. It says, he says, whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And so the very thing that you are fighting to build up and protect your life will actually only be protected safe and secure when you give it up for him. Now, I'm not just talking physical because we know that physical life is not promised for the believer or the non-believer. You are not guaranteed a comfortable, long life. But Jesus is speaking of eternity here. He's referencing our eternal lives. And he's saying that his kingdom will not fall. It will not fade. It will last forever. His kingdom is eternal. And the Bible even calls us as believers, co-heirs with Jesus. And we've been invited into this kingdom. And it's clear from his next question that he's talking about our spiritual lives, the part of us that will last forever, and how it relates to our physical pursuits in this life here. He asks, what good is it for you to gain the whole world? That's the physical the here now stuff, but to lose your soul, the spiritual, the eternal? Or what can anyone give in exchange for your soul? What good is it? Basically is what he's saying. What good is any of it? You're going to end up in a box one day. And maybe you'll leave behind a legacy. But a legacy of what? What are you leaving behind? And maybe you think that by financially setting up your family for their futures, that's what you've been called to do. And I would say that that is a very good and great honorable thing to do. That is great, but then I have to ask you, what about you? And no one likes that question, what about you? Especially because we are supposed to be selfless. We don't like to think of that way. But I hate when people say they don't care about what happens to themselves as long as their families are taken care of. Again, I love the selflessness. I love the attitude of providing for your family at the cost of your own comforts. But you have to come to face to face with the reality that you will exist eternally. That you will exist eternally. You will meet Jesus face to face at some point. And so if you answered no earlier, that you don't want to follow Jesus, if you're sitting here this morning and you are just like, yeah, well, you know, hell can't really be that bad. How many times have you heard that? <laughs> hell can't be that bad. You have a pretty big misunderstanding of what awaits. Hell is a reality that Jesus does not want for you. And the cost of following Jesus, the sacrifice that we endure to follow him in comparison to hell, is far less than the cost of going to hell. That is why Jesus came for us. And I don't like to talk about like fire and brimstone stuff. I'm not trying to scare anybody into heaven. I don't like that kind of stuff. But it is a reality that we have to talk about. 
You exist eternally. And Jesus, in our passage, we're leading up to it. He's about to be betrayed, brutally beaten, and murdered to pay the price for sin, to make a way for you to be set free from sin and to live forever with him. And the gospel reveals the heart of Christ for us, the love that he has for you, and the great lengths that he went through to offer salvation to you. But the truth of following Jesus is that it's hard. It's much easier to live like the world, to just pretend like none of this is real. But deep down, you know that it, is, that it isn't the case. Like you're at your core, you know that there is a reality that, exi- that exists outside of the here and now. And it's one thing to say, yeah, I believe. But if we are convinced of who he is, and if we are to be followers of Jesus, then there is an action that you and I are to take. And that action is to willingly say with your life, all of this is yours. I follow you and you alone. No one else, not even myself. This means that your job is his, your money is his, your uh, time is his, your wife or your husband, they are his, your kids are his, your parents are his. Everything belongs to him. And the troubling reality is that when we hear lists like that, it causes us to second guess everything. Do I really want this? Is this really for me? And I think that was his goal in stating this in the first place. Do you want to follow Jesus? Yes, there is cost to following Jesus, but this isn't some burdensome obligation. Following Jesus is a joy. He says that he came to give us life and life to the full, that he told, he told us that his burden is light and his yoke is easy, even in the midst of all of the talk of taking up your cross and dying to, stu- dying to self. There is still a deep joy to following Jesus to know that your life is secure in him, to be living in his will, to feel the weight of sin and death lifted off of you and to walk in the freedom off, away from those chains that held you down, the chains of sin. I think of Paul, again, when, when he writes in Philippians, whatever were gains to me, that's all that he had built up for himself, everything that he had. Whatever were gains to me, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And he goes on to say, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And Paul was writing all of that from a prison cell. How is it that Paul wasn't so mad that he renounced his faith? Why didn't his letter say, well, I tried Jesus and look where it got me. I tried this Jesus thing. Now I'm in prison. I've lost everything. No, he says, I consider everything a loss because I value knowing Jesus more than anything else. Why? Because he knew his Savior and his Savior knew him. He had experienced the saving, loving, forgiving, life-changing power of Christ. And he knew and believed that life with Jesus was far better than a life without him, even in prison. I also think of John the Baptist, who had built up for himself quite the following. He was a man who Jesus called the greatest to have ever been born of a woman. He had built up quite the following, and he was uh, a prophet who was preparing the way for Jesus. Right, And Jesus finally shows up, and then John's disciples, they, they came to John, and they were a little jealous of Jesus and all the following that he had built up, and how even some of John's disciples were leaving John to go to Jesus, and they were like, aren't you going to do something about this? What are we going to do? And John replied, a person can only receive what has been given them from heaven. 
You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but the one sent ahead of him. And then he uses this beautiful analogy to explain this. He says the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom awaits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. And then he has this famous quote, he must become greater and I must become less. And that idea goes against everything that this world has taught us. Look out for yourself. Go and make a name for yourself. If you want it, go get it. You deserve it. You need to treat yourself. On and on and on. You can think of all the different slogans and different taglines that people have claimed and are trying to achieve. Again, all of those things. Really, some of those things aren't even that bad. But what makes them bad is they end up on this list in our hearts titled, Things I Will Not Get Rid Of When Following Jesus. I'm still going to make a name for myself. I'm still going to do this thing. Or whatever the case is, you've got these things. We have these things that we've just said. These are non-negotiables. Even now, you know what they are because you have them in your hearts. And even now, we're thinking of ways to keep them. How can we justify them? How can we swing them and flip them to make them okay? Because we love them. And I know that because I do the same things in my life. I like the things that I have. I love my family and my friends. And sometimes... I even love them more than I love him. We do that. There are days when I cannot get on the same page as Paul. As much as I hate to say that, I cannot get on the same page as Paul when he writes, all things are like garbage compared to knowing Jesus. Because I've had days where I don't feel like that. Where it doesn't feel like that, where I value this stuff more than my relationship with Jesus. And my life proves it at times. But it's on those days that I need reminded of truth. I need reminded of the reality of life. Because in those moments when I'm thinking that way, I'm not living in reality. But a fairy tale, a fictional story where this life is the only thing that I have. And that it's the only thing that matters is the one here and now. But the fact of the matter is that that's a lie. That is not true. And it's written all over scripture. It's warning us of trying to follow Jesus while giving up nothing or by trying to have a foot in both camps. You hear it when you read things like you cannot serve both God and money. Or you see it whenever you read about the rich young ruler who went to Jesus and Jesus told him to sell everything he had. And he went away sad because he had great wealth and he valued that stuff more than Jesus. Or when Jesus was calling his disciples and one of them said, let me bury my dad and then I'll follow you. Meaning, let me get my inheritance. Let me set up my life. Let me set up the cushion. That way I have a fallback plan. I got all these plan Bs in case something doesn't work out, you know. And then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus responded to him, let the dead bury the dead. (laughs) He was like, no, we're not doing that. Again, what good is it to gain the whole world? What good is it to set up this immaculate life but lose your soul? And you would lose your mind if you heard how many times I've had a conversation with somebody, mostly students, because that's who I usually work with, who who tell me things like, well, I just want to have the college experience first. I just want to go live it up a little bit. I want to do these things that I want to do. It looks so fun. And then I'll settle down and I'll follow Jesus. Like, I believe in him, but I want to, I'll follow him later. Here, I, I, I can't even count on, on two hands how many times I've had that conversation But what are those things when compared to knowing Jesus? We can find 110 excuses for why we're so unwilling to give up the vices in our lives. But what are they when compared to Jesus, to the eternal life, the deep joy, the peace that passes understanding, the undeserved grace that comes from following Jesus? They're nothing. They don't compare. 
And the reality is that most of the time, what we're chasing is the pleasure that comes from those tiny hits of dopamine that you get when you get something new, or someone likes your post on social media, or someone tells you that you look good, or whatever the case is, if you're popular, you get all these accolades. We get these little hits of things that makes us feel good, but they never last. They actually are very short-lived. And then we end up feeling that want again, that desire for more. And I'm telling you, that's an exhausting way to live, to continually pursue the next fix to feel good. It's exhausting. What I want is a life that is content and satisfied in the Lord and what he's given me. What I want is a life that isn't ruled by my wants, but is content in him. One that trusts in him, even when I can't see what's coming. Psalm 23 says this perfectly. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not, what's the next word? Want. I shall not want. In the CSB translation that we use, it says, I have what I need. The value of knowing Christ far exceeds everything, anything else. But what does all of this mean? I know we've talked about the cost and how we're supposed to give up stuff. Am I supposed to abandon every responsibility that I have? Am I supposed to be a third world country missionary? Am I supposed to uh, sell everything that I have and go and be a monk in the mountain somewhere? Am I supposed to not have nice things ever? Am I supposed to have nothing? Well, no, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean being willing to do so if he called you to it. If he said, this is where I'm taking you, are you willing to say, yeah, I follow you? And most of the times, uh, uh, we hear this call and we think about uh, the quality of life stuff when we talk about the cost of following Jesus. Right? Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We've crucified ourselves with him. It's not just the quality of life stuff. It's not just material and money possessions, money and possessions that we talk about when it comes to the cost of following Jesus. There's another part of taking up your cross and following him, and it looks like really just getting over yourself entirely. It's learning to be like Jesus more in more than just the things that we do, but at the core of who we are, to love like Jesus and to forgive like Jesus, to think like Jesus. As his followers, we are carrying our crosses and we are following him. We are following him to the cross, following him to be crucified with him, our flesh and our sinful attitudes along with it. Jesus died for his enemies, for the very people that put him on the cross in the first place. He showed love to all people. It didn't matter their skin color. It didn't matter their status. Money didn't matter. Their political party didn't matter. Nothing mattered. He loved them. And following Jesus isn't just kind of some buffet-style option where you get to pick and choose the qualities and aspects of Jesus that you agree with, and you get to leave the rest behind. Because we don't get that option, even though we like to pretend like we do. Jesus gave us the model to follow, and you, follow, and you as a follower of Christ are to be like him. 
And honestly, maybe Jesus' statement really needs to land in your heart this morning. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So listen, your refusal to let go of pride, your refusal to give up chasing the dollar signs, your refusal to love those who are different from you, your refusal to quit looking at things you shouldn't look at or quit pursuing the things you shouldn't pursue, your refusal to submit your entire life to Jesus is a refusal to pick up the cross. It's a refusal to follow him. So maybe you're like me and you're living a life of people pleasing. Maybe you care so badly for the approval of others that you can't fully submit yourself completely to Jesus because it would cost so much. It would, it would cause you to lose your friends and your relationships. If that's you, my hope and prayer for you is that you would see the surpassing value of finding validation in Jesus and in his arms alone. You will find rest in knowing that he loves and accepts you versus the exhaustion that comes from trying to please everybody everywhere at the expense of your own soul. Honestly, we need to realize that Jesus hasn't asked us to do something that he wouldn't do, that he didn't already do. He led the way in this. Following him means that we are becoming more like him and and he's gone before us in every single way that he's calling us to live. We have the perfect example of how to follow him and how to be like him by watching his life. So I have one last question for us this morning that I want us to close with. It's, if Jesus is worth following, if we say that we want to follow him, then are you willing to take up the cross? Are you willing to follow Jesus? Are you willing to follow him if it means losing your closest friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your reputation, your job, your lifestyle, your money, maybe even your life? Are you willing to follow where he leads no matter the cost? So here shortly, we're going to go into a time of communion, and it's an opportunity for us to remember Jesus to remember the sacrifice that he made for us. But before we transi- transition into that time, I want just, just a couple moments I want to give us to reflect on the life that we're leading right now. To ask ourselves if we've submitted fully to Jesus or if there are things that are on that list that we are unwilling to let go of. I plead with you today, I'm begging you to give those things to him, to tell him now that they are his to do with what he pleases. Ask him to reveal any areas of refusal in your hearts and then commit to following him. And lastly, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, do so today. The gift of forgiveness, eternal life, all of it is yours today if you believe in him. Tell him now that you want to be a follower of his, that you believe in him. And he is faithful to forgive you and save you. So I want us to pray that we're going to take a few moments to just reflect on these questions, to spend some time with the Lord. And then Andy, one of our elders, is going to lead us through our time of communion together. So we'll give it a couple moments of prayer together, and then we will uh, spend our time in communion. So let's pray. God, we're grateful, Lord, for your faithfulness, for the love that you have for us, the grace that you've poured out on us. God, I pray that you would... um, Be with us now as we uh, just challenge ourselves, as we think through um, the areas of our lives that we've just been been unmoved in, um, that we're holding on to so tightly. The areas that we're keeping in the dark, God, we think that we're hiding them from you, but you know them. I pray, God, that you would loosen our grips, that you would cause us to have um, uh, soft hearts and open eyes to see that these things that that are in our hearts need to go. 
God, we are refusing to let go of them, and that's refusing to follow you. So I pray that you'd break that part of us. Cause those walls to fall down. Be with us now as we spend this time with you. In Jesus' name, amen. This time is yours. As we continue to turn our hearts towards the Lord and what he did for us on the cross, um, we remember in the sense that we know he's alive today, but as the writer of Hebrews wrote the importance of this in chapter 10, verse 10, by God's will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Christ's body is what did it for us and his will to the Father. If you don't have one of these yet, go ahead and sneak back there and grab one. It's okay, there may be others. Um, remember that this is, there's nothing holy in and of these elements that we take. There's nothing extra special about them. It's, it's about what we're remembering and what Christ ordained that night that he was betrayed. And the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He told them about this and reminded them and encouraged them to continue to do this. And ever since then, almost 2,000 years, literally, countless and countless followers of Christ have done this all over the world, all different languages, all different people groups, all different times and eras. 
It's incredible to think of that. And it will continue until he comes and he will come. The Apostle Paul said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He said to the Corinthians, for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. He gave thanks and he broke it. And Lord, you said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together the bread. The Apostle Paul continues on to the Corinthians and he says, in the same way, Jesus also took the cup after supper. And Lord Jesus, you said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, our Father, what you have done for us together is beyond what we could ever do for you in return. And yet you don't ask that of us, but you, des you do desire us, Lord, to follow you, to do what you desire of us, Lord, even if it means to lose our lives. And many of the apostles did 